you're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malik, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malik, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. start off with an apology. I know I've been remiss with getting the um, podcast up in a timely manner. Uh, this The month of December, I've been the chef at the loft at Sobeys, the private event space over Sobeys Restaurant, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, of course, it's been very busy and very time-consuming. Uh, so time has been precious to me this month. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Alex George of GB&D and I'd like to wish each and every one of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Welcome to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, Alex George. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Glad to be here, John. Thank you for having me. And and Alex has brought his beard, <laughs> his beard with him this morning. Thank you. The uh, the best compliment I think I ever got, but it was also an insult. It was somebody said, um, "Don't ever shave it. It's your best feature." <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> You've got to be, your beard has got to be the most famous Instagram feature, gentleman's feature in Greenville, I'd bet. Do you think so? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Man, I guess I haven't done too much research. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe it should get its own Instagram. (laughs) It's not a bad idea. So, uh, Alex, um, before opening GB&D, when I was uh, working at the Peace Center or doing some catering and, and whatnot, Alex helped me. Um, in a few uh, a few times, and um, and when he was looking at the space uh, to open GB and D, you called, got in touch with me, and asked me to come take yeah, a look at that's it. Right. I remember meeting in that um, what is the kitchen now? Back then, it was a loft and a studio space. I remember sitting there over like a filing cabinet, and we were sketching stuff out. Right. Yeah. 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 Way way back when, this was. Oh, golly, this is probably, what, six or eight years ago. Your wife used to cut my hair, and um, and she asked me one day, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a chef. And she goes, oh, my husband wants to be a chef. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? How about that? And uh, I said, what does he do? And, and she said, oh, he works at BMW. And I said, does he bring up a steady paycheck? And she said, yes. And I said, does he have benefits and I said, she, she says yes and so is he off every weekend oh yeah and I was like do you tell him to call me and I'll talk him out of it <laughs> there are moments of weakness when I am just in the weeds or shutting down the kitchen late at night and I think I could be putting plastic on a car right now making twice as much money <laughs> and have a five day weekend to look forward to so oh yeah I remember those days yep yep the theme, I think, for this show is don't try this at home, right? So typically, and I've done some, the last five years, I've done a lot of consulting, and, and, and I've uh, been instrumental, with, I, well, I shouldn't say instrumental, but I've, but I've uh, influenced a, a lot of other folks that have, that have opened up their own restaurants, and they typically have the same story. So they'll start in a, um, in a restaurant, and it may not be the restaurant of their choice, but they'll either wash, start washing dishes or 
bussing tables or something like that, and then work their way up through um, through the kitchen or front of the house for 10, 12, 15 years, save some money, get some investors, get some family money, and then after 20 years, they'll open their own place, right? Yeah, I was not, I was not patient enough. <laughs> Patient enough for that scenario. <laughs> Alex broke every one of the rules. <laughs> well, I got really lucky because I got to work in the first restaurant I wanted to work in, which to me was the best restaurant in town and arguably still is, which was Stella's um, Southern Bistro. Yeah, in Simpsonville. Yep. Um, so I think I skipped a lot of steps just by being exposed to good food and good restaurant management from day one. So, Alec, you did that for two years and then stepped out on your own. Yeah, I think it was right at two years. Um, yeah. Did everything in the kitchen from wash dishes to the, being the pastry cook to you know working grill at dinner. Um, I would say that my plan was to work there for probably another three years. In my head, I thought five years in the kitchen and then either move on to another restaurant or try and do something on my own. But things just fell into place and it seemed like... Now or never. If you want to open up a restaurant, kids, do not try that at home. <laughs> no, no, definitely don't. <laughs> because on paper, on paper, you know, if somebody approached me and say, hey, here's here's my plan, then as a, as a restaurant consultant, I would have said, no, well, no absolutely not. <laughs> I remember one of the first places we looked at in the village of West Greenville, um, I was trying to pitch the idea to the owner of the building. And he just looked at me and he's like, what did you do at Stella's? And I was like, I was, you know. Did it all, yeah. I was a line cook, essentially. And he's like, he's like, have you ever owned a restaurant before? And I was like, no. He's like, have you ever been the chef in a restaurant before? And I was like, nope. no. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want a restaurant. So that's what I just kept coming back to. Like, I really want to do this. And I feel like if you just keep pushing right. what yeah. you want eventually, it'll either click or it won't. But just keep pushing. And, and how long have you been open now? Four? No, 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 no. Just uh, two, almost two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And in two and a half years, can you name the press that you've gotten in two and a half years? Can you can you rattle that off? Other than the local stuff, Town, Carolina, I know. Um, to be honest, I cannot. I think we have been mentioned in Eater a couple of times. Yeah. Um, there is a couple international mentions from like, what is it? It's not Savor can't remember. Yeah. It's something. Tasting Table. Tasting Table did something, I think. Right. But, um, no, I have a terrible memory when it comes to what's been written. So, two, two and a half years, though, you've got, you have garnered a lifetime of press, hmm. I, would, I would think. You think so? Because <clears throat> I feel like this is, you can cut all of this out if you want. I feel like every time we're mentioned, it's like as an afternote to the other restaurants in Greenville. Mm-hmm. Which I don't mind too much because we're new and there's other restaurants right. that have more history or more um, just clout, you know, they actually right. need the press. But for me, I I don't really like the opening motto and probably still the motto for GB&D is uh, under promise over deliver. So if I can keep the hype low, if I can keep the expectations low yeah. and I can live in a little bubble where you're like, hey, I never heard of this place. Mm-hmm. And you come in not expecting good food, then maybe I can impress you. But if we get start getting, you know, just yeah, all no, of, yeah, yeah, you're all right. of that, people's you're right. expectations are going to be high, and that's that's a scary thought. One day I think we could live to meet them. We're trying our best now, but it's just a 
being off the radar is not such a bad thing sometimes. Correct. Yeah. I used to tell my guys that uh, we're only as good as our worst meal. Yeah, exactly. So, um, because you don't, you don't know. Just, just you know, you can't live your life thinking, oh, one day uh, so-and-so from Food & Wine is going to come in to eat here, and we have to make sure that she has an amazing experience, right? No, you have to provide a great experience for every diner. For every diner. Yeah, it's not like you can pick and choose who you get to make good food for. You make it for right. everybody. Exactly. One of the best meals that I think my wife and I ever had was at Ben and Karen Barker's uh, now-closed Magnolia Grill in Durham, North Carolina. And for 20 years, the Barkers, they set the standard in uh, white tablecloth southern cuisine. Right? And, he, and he got all the press, and this is pre-internet, so he got, you know, they both got a James Beard Award for Best Chef, Best Pastry Chef multiple write-ups, so on and so forth, more more national, regional, local, international press than you could shake a stick at. So when we ate there, there when you walk in the door, there was none of that. You know, some restaurants you go into, and they've got all these all silly the awards hanging yeah. Yeah, right at the front door. All right, so now your expectations have gone high. All right, so Ben, I, and, and, I, and I kind of knew Ben back then, so I walked to the to the bathroom, and he had he had all of his press, but he had it at the entrance to the kitchen. So you couldn't see it in the dining room. The dining room was full of local art. When you walked into the into the back of the house near the kitchen, that's where he had some of his best stuff hanging. And so it was to remind him of what the people so yeah. what his what his customers are expecting. Met a famous singer once, and and I asked him about singing the same song over and over and over to his big hit, uh, you know, how, how do you keep doing that after 20 years? And he said, you, you don't know. The, the person sitting in the audience, this might be the first time they've heard that song. Hmm. And that really hit home. Yeah. You know? Well, for me, it's, um, you know, what do they say? You only get one shot at a first impression. I feel like in restaurants, that's huge because if somebody comes in, they don't like their meal, even if you could do it a hundred times better the next time. You're probably not going to get another shot because there's a thousand other restaurants to eat at in Greenville. Customers don't need all of these options. Like we're very much a luxury, so I think sure. to to stay relevant, to stay um, just in competition, you have to be on point all the time. And it's not possible. There's always times when you're like, could have done that better, could have done that better, or like. A, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a specific example. Um, had a cook send out a steak that was overcooked the other day. And you get it sent back. And I think that could have turned into like a poor customer experience. But I like I refired the steak myself, took it out to the table, apologized, asked them if they'd been in before. And they're like, yeah, we've been in a couple of times, which is why we're surprised, you know, that our food was wrong. Because they had grown to expect like good food. And I really appreciated that they, instead of just sitting there, like, fighting through a bad meal, they actually said something. Right. And give you the opportunity to fix it. Give me the opportunity to fix it, because at that point, we'd already had good first impression with them, already had a good follow-up experience with them. And so they knew that there was, you know, a standard that GB&D food should live up to, and they gave me a chance to fix their food and get it back up to that standard. And that's the kind of customer that I think is just the most beneficial customer to have because that kind of relationship just that they feel like they can communicate with the kitchen 
that back and forth is huge. One of my pet peeves in in this industry is have dinner, have lunch, whatever. You're sitting there at the end of your meal. You've got empty plates in front of you, and the manager walks past and says, "How was everything?" <laughs> <laughs> and that just that drives me up the wall because if you if something wasn't right, well, what is he going to do about it? Or she, what is she going to do about it right now? Can't do anything about it. And if and if you're a, a manager, you should know how are their how is their experience going. You should take a bite of food if you're if you're really curious or interested. The the server or the manager should swing past that table and say, "Are you enjoying that steak? Is that glass of wine everything you'd hope for? Is your burger cooked the way you like it? You know, ask those sharp pointed questions, right. more directed questions, exactly, instead exactly. of open end." Is exactly. everything okay? And the last time that my wife and I were at GB&D, the girl, the girl swung by and said, chicken and waffles, and uh, are you enjoying that chicken and waffle entree? And I said, yes, I am. Thank you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah, it is a, it is a, it's a daily struggle in the restaurant business to, oh, I shouldn't say struggle, but a daily challenge to remain relevant, to, 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 to be at the top of your game, and to perform uh, as... To your customers' expectations. So I got a question here from your from your dad. I got a question uh, over Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. First food memory, first cooking memory. When you were little, what do you, do you remember? Yeah, what I remember, steered you? Well, I remember the first thing I tried to cook. Um, I it was five or six, and I wanted to make some craft instant macaroni and cheese. You know, out of the box, the yellow box, and my um. Mom was walking through me through the directions, and she, I remember her saying, don't put the cheese in with the water and the noodles. Like, you got to strain the water off first. And I remember thinking that the whole time, don't put the cheese in with the water, don't put the cheese in with the water. And then noodles are finishing up. I panic, and I put the cheese in with the water. <laughs> I just remember, I remember my older brother being like, why did you put the cheese in with the water? I was like, I don't know. I got confused. But, like, that same feeling... I experienced yeah. that quite frequently, like, just, I don't know what I'm doing, and yeah. <laughs> put it, that's my, <laughs> panic, just panic and try something, I, I panicked, I just went with it. Yeah, that's my earliest cooking memory, is trying to cook Kraft macaroni and cheese. I know I had to have been younger than seven, because I remember the house we were in, so I think it was either five or six. Yeah. But then I think making chocolate chip cookies comes not too long after oh, that. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, making brownie mixes. You know, most things that started off with just real simple A plus B equals whatever. Right, right. Um, grilled cheese sandwiches. But yeah, that I a very clear memory of just like standing on a chair over the pot of boiling water and noodles, holding the cheese packet, being like <laughs> Don't screw up, don't, don't screw up. Don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> don't put it in with the water and then I did it anyways. So. <laughs> I think my first food memory I remember making um Broiled, open-faced pickle and mayonnaise sandwiches. That sounds delicious. <laughs> My dad liked these long pickle slices, mm-hmm. and you just put a slice of white bread and and my mom made bread at the time too, so I was ruining her bread. <laughs> but you just smear mayonnaise and a few pickle slices and put it under the broiler. And broiled the mayonnaise, man. <laughs> and I was probably like like you, five or six, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm sure it's my sister. Something yeah. my, my sister taught me how to do. 
so tell me, uh, prior to working at uh, Stella's Bistro, what started you down this road of, I want to be a cook? I think I've always really enjoyed cooking. I think that's a pretty stock answer, but it's true. Um, I got to a point where at BMW I had free time, which was nice. So I would have longer weekends mm-hmm. based on the schedule. Um, I had the money to go out and actually buy good ingredients. And then I just started collecting and accumulating cookbooks because that's, to me, you know, that's where you learn. And then it was about the same time, you know, YouTube cooking videos became very popular. You had things like Serious Eats just getting launched. Um, all of these resources, which were unavailable, you know, even something like 15 years ago, all of a right. sudden started becoming just super accessible. I could type into Google, how do I make a bechamel? And I could immediately have all of the education anybody could ask for on how to make a bechamel. So it just became like a constant... Like, how can I do something next better than what I did before? Like, it just became a passion. Like, I just wanted to keep cooking, keep cooking. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it professionally. I really enjoyed just cooking for friends and family. Um, that was a lot of fun. One day, you just realize you're not happy with what you're doing, and you're like, I need to switch this up. I had a... Everett was born. Um, my son, he's five now. So that's kind of the what caused the paradigm shift in my thinking like you know do i want to work in this factory making cars like is that what maybe this sounds silly but it was like is that what i want everett to tell you know kids that's what his dad does you know not there's anything wrong with it it's great work right but i just i thought something you know i wanted to have something that i could like pass on to him like you know just i just started thinking like what can i build here what kind of legacy can i leave for him and that's you know that's heavy that's heady stuff but that is how I started thinking. I was like, I can't really do that in this line of work. You know, there's only so far I can go. Sure, it would provide, but I just, I could not see it myself doing that for five more years, ten more years. Right. So I just said, let's see what happens if we email a chef and see if he'll let me come wash dishes. And it worked. And so I said, let's go for it. At the time, um, didn't have a ton of expenses, like, we could handle the financial hit, and we just decided to make it work. Brittany was huge in supporting me in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to sum it up, and you can cut out all the other stuff before I said <laughs> <laughs> I said before. I just like cooking. It was fun, and I realized if if I I had the mentality that I could do this even professionally and still enjoy it, like I chose to believe that, and I still enjoy it after what is probably comparatively not a long time, but for me a long time. I haven't ever worked a job this long in my life, so I still love it, and I think it's just the fact that I loved it so much I realized I could carry it into something that I could support myself and my mm-hmm. family with. Mm-hmm. I've, known, I've known a lot of cooks. I think we typically fall into two categories, and one is, one is self-expression. So we do it either consciously or subconsciously, we do it to express ourselves mm-hmm. in an artistic manner, and whether whether they know that or not, and then some of us do it as a um, as a, as a sign of love. So we cook for we cook to make others happy. Yeah, and I think probably I fall into category B because I'm a middle child, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> Had you ever 
where where would you consider yourself? Man, I would say starting off definitely category B, like cooking because I enjoy taking care of people. I like the hospitality aspect of it. I like I like all of the emotional things connected with food. You know, the everybody sitting around the table just having a good time. Right. Um, just the common commonality that people have for good food like it's universal we want to eat things that taste good but i think recently it's switched a little bit for me because i still really enjoy taking care of people like that's the end game sure like make people feel special make them feel heard but recently i've wanted to try and communicate something with the food and that is very difficult i think for me in particular because my food memories are very specific and very like deep emotions connected to them i don't even know if it's possible but what i really want to do is somehow try and somehow through either the story of the dish or the flavors that the dish has is to remind people of something and i haven't quite figured out what it is i'm trying to remind them of either it's like you know either the good food comes not out of place of just desperation but like have you seen the movie uh, Ratatouille? Yeah. All right. Best best food movie yeah. ever. Even though it's a even though yeah. it's animated, even though there's mice cooking, whatever. But that scene where the food critic, who's Peter O'Toole, yeah, bites into that into uh, that yeah. Ratatouille. And it, it flashes him back. Exactly. So, yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, and that's powerful. And I think that's you know I think you probably get a lot of chefs who will say that's what I want. I want to remind people of their childhood, and I think. You know, I don't know if I want to go that far. I just want to, I want there to be something more than just really good food on the plate. And I don't know, I know that's intangible and that's like, right. you know, how do you even say that's what I'm trying to do? Maybe I can't do it with just the food. Maybe I have to do it with the story behind the food. Maybe I have to tell you where it came from. Either it's what the dish meant to me, what these ingredients meant to the people who grew them or raised them or killed them. You know, like, I just want their... I want to communicate that what ended up in front of you had a journey, like it didn't just show up, and there's got to be a way to do that without being too overly dramatic about it. Right. Yeah, I would agree. So recently you posted on uh, Instagram a few weeks back, and a rather intriguing discussion uh, came out of that, uh, speaking of you know, a backstory. And you posted a, a photograph of a whole, was it a whole butchered lamb? Mm-hmm. It's a whole butchered lamb. We got in a right. whole lamb from Steve Ellis at Bethel Trails. Yep. Probably one of the best things I've eaten mm-hmm. was a dish that came out of that lamb. But yeah, we, one of my big things as a kitchen is just letting people, it's just asking the cooks, the other chefs, what do you want to do? And one day we we're like, let's try butchering a, a whole animal. Mm-hmm. You know, let's take it down and see how much we can get out of it you know like let's use everything let's get a whole animal in and let's use everything just as kind of like a challenge just as something different because you know normally right. we're getting most of the time we get in whole fish we get in whole chickens right but then other than that we're getting you know like our pork or beef is usually processed down pretty far by the time it gets to us you sure. know we're not getting huge sides of beef or massive primal cuts to us it was just like let's just try this let's make ourselves figure out respectful good ways to use the entirety of an animal um lamb came out of it just because lambs are manageable i could fit a whole lamb on the prep table (laughs) i could butcher it and you know even in my inexperience i'm very thankful to have a talented butcher on staff james who 
I watched do the whole thing, and he did it with such finesse and skill. I was just blown away, and I learned mm-hmm. a lot. Like as I'd never seen a whole lamb butchered, I knew I could tell you that's where that cut comes from. That's right, where that cut right. comes from. But I'd never seen how you get to those cuts. Right. In hindsight, I see how it was inflammatory, but at the time, I was just generally amazed by it. I wanted to share that amazement. Like, hey, this is cool. I think the where I kind of lost people was just that there's a whole picture of a, you know, there's like, that's the lamb's head with eyeballs in it. Sure. Like, on the table. Yeah. And that's heavy. People don't want to see that, and people maybe don't necessarily want to, you know, know that, like, a baby lamb died so they could eat it. But we eat lamb. Lamb's pretty common food. I mean... Sure. So it's, it's, to me, I enjoy lamb. I really enjoy, like, a good... Euro or gyro, I'm still 50-50 on how to say that one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, good lamb chops. So it was just, um, I remember my mom, huge fan of lamb. She put the mint jelly on it, which I could never get behind. No, the green? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, my mom, too. But I remember thinking about that. So when we served that lamb, I made a mint chimichurri. And it was really nice. And then I kind of understood why the lamb and mint worked well together. Mm-hmm. But... I couldn't. I don't think I could do the mint jelly yet, but I'm coming around to where I'm like, okay, lamb and mint. I see it now. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to get in a whole animal. We got it from a great source, and then I just wanted to communicate people that like I was aware of what the price was. Correct. For this animal. Right. And I don't think I communicated it the best way, but I, what I wanted to say was like, look, I I understand that a baby animal died. Specifically because I asked it, that lamb wouldn't wouldn't have been processed if I hadn't yeah. been like, "Hey, Steve, can I get a whole lamb in?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've got a couple. I can take one to the processor next week." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Do that." So you should ask your next question because that's just something I've been thinking about. Like, because uh, you're going to ask if yeah. meat is murder. Yeah. So you you took a lot of heat for that on Instagram. There's a lot of Maybe they were customers, maybe not, I don't know. Oh yeah, but, some of them were very like loyal customers too. Yeah, like how dare how dare you post this picture? You were accused of being a murderer. Yeah. and Well, yeah, people would say, see, I, I don't think anybody directly accused me of being a murderer. But what okay, they would right. say, what they would say was, is like, we're not calling, they would say me is a murderer, but we're not calling Alex or GB&D a murderer. And I, what I wanted to respond, I never did, was like, if, if we're going to use the term murder, which is a legal term, right. which is a stretch, I think, to begin with. But if you want to use that legal term, you should know that I, like, essentially paid for that lamb to be killed, which if I hired someone to kill someone in real life, I would be just as guilty as the person who pulled sure. the trigger. Yeah. So if you want to say meat is murder, you got to take it all the way. And you got to call me a murderer, too, yeah. because I paid for those animals to die. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't pull the trigger. But I wrote the check. Right, right. And that's, you know, by a legal definition, that makes me just as guilty as whoever it was that actually killed that lamb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's just me being, you know, stick to your guns. If you want to say meat is murder, call me the murderer. Don't come to my restaurant. Gotcha. Like, push it all the way through, but don't don't cop out, like, halfway through and be like, well, meat is murder, but Alex isn't a murderer, because that's... Right. You know, take it all the way. Yeah. I, I grew up in South Louisiana, and I grew up hunting and fishing, and um, and early on, my dad, my mom, especially my mom, my mom grew up on a cattle ranch, but um, she impressed on me, you know, you, you 
you eat what you kill, mm-hmm. and you don't you don't kill for pleasure, right? Right? You kill out of necessity or um, or or of desire. So I want to have. I mean, my gosh, South Louisiana, we all hunted and fished, and <laughs> you you we learned early on that you know you res- you respect life, and when you when you take the life of an animal, it's because you are going to use every bit of it. So she taught me how to. You know, I'd go duck hunting, and she was the first. She taught me how to clean the ducks, and then we made duck stock, and then uh, we we gave away the feathers, and um, and I I think we have gotten as a country, we've gotten so far removed from where our food comes from. We take for granted that hit the drive-through at Chick Fil A, grab a chicken sandwich, yeah. whatever. It's just it's, it's, it's a, not an animal anymore. No, it's, it's so close. Just, it's, yeah. it's a piece of tasty food, and that's right. I want to remind people like this. This had a beginning. This had a life, and there are ways to be respectful about eating meat. And I don't think the respectful way to eat meat is just these massive processing facilities that are, you know, cramped conditions and it's just pumping out as much meat as they possibly can. I think that there is something very worthwhile for saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't eat as much meat because we've gotten to the point where it's like you said, so easy to go. And just there it is, sitting on a plastic wrap on like a pink tray, and yeah, you know, you never think about the animal where that came from, like what kind of life it had, was it healthy, you know, was it processed correctly, was it killed humanely, and it's just stuff we don't think about, and I I think it would be much better if we could just start following it back, like that story I'm talking about, like how did this piece of meat get here. Mm-hmm. If that means we eat less meat, great. I think that would be awesome. I have no problem with just being like, we don't have meat today because the sources we got it, get it from don't have any animals to take this week. We actually, for the first time in over a year, 86 burgers because the way the processing worked out, we didn't have ground beef for a day. Yeah. And that's like our number one moneymaker. Like, I could have gone to Publix... Sure. Yeah, you could have. Yeah, I could gone to Publix, bought thirty pounds of ground beef, come back to the restaurant, patted them out, and yeah. made a ton of money that day. Like yeah. I would have sold, like I do pretty much every day, dozens or hundreds of burgers. Yeah, and who would have known? Nobody would have known. And uh, I could excuse me, who would have known? <laughs> I would have known. Exactly. <laughs> I would have known. But you know, I'm trying to make money, so <laughs> I can. But yeah, then that's that goes back to a whole another issue about like honesty on menus, but. I didn't do that because I care about where the meat comes from, and I want my customers to care about where they're getting their meat from, too. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, yeah. like, if you go to Publix and buy chicken, you're doing something wrong, because you got to feed your family, and you don't have access to the same resources that I might at my restaurant. Exactly. So yeah. there's there's nothing on an individual level. I don't think get what food you can to feed yourself, but maybe if you have the ability, start thinking about sources. If you have that flexibility to not eat meat... Every day, don't eat meat every day. If you have the flexibility to go down to Swamp Rabbit or go to the farmer's market and buy meat that's coming from local good sources, do that. Like, that will go a long way in encouraging other people, other farmers, to start, you know, maybe somebody just needs to be like, wow, there's a crazy market out there right now for local organic pork. I should go start Right. Whatever you call a pork farm. I don't know. (laughs) What do you call the pork farm? I don't know. Big farm. Big farm. I should go start raising. 
I should go start raising pigs, or I should yeah. start raising ducks, because, you know, yeah, like, if we could get, if consumers, I mean, could drive the business, maybe we could get more sources, maybe we could start making it more attainable for every, or for more people to get this nice stuff, um, but I think that's just, you put your money where you can, and if you can support these people, you should. Yeah, it's a good, great point, great point. You know, our Secretary of Agriculture, Hugh Weathers, um, I don't want to go off on a political tangent here, <laughs> but he likes to talk about the multi-billion dollar industry that South Carolina agriculture is. And so when you hear that, you think, oh, well, we must be selling a lot of peaches. A huge percentage of that number, of that multi-billion dollar number, is processed chicken. Really? It's chicken farms, poultry farms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's not Bethel Trails type farms. No. It's these big commercial farms where the where the chickens are. Yeah, you know, in the, in the in the when you go into a typical grocery store and you see that that five pound uh, uh, fryer chicken. Yeah. That thing is less than four months old. Yeah. And we right, we've got chickens. We have twenty four chickens, and our four month old chickens weigh about a tenth of what those. Yeah, they just. Know, so that's anyway. Maybe yeah. I'll run for secretary of agriculture in, in, yeah. in two years. I, I hate I hate the chicken trucks that drive around. I don't know if you're in Greenville, if you'll yep. see them. But I also kind of like it because I'm like maybe if me more people just saw those poor chickens it, cramped in that right. fucking tiny little cage, and you're just if like you understood where that yeah. where that food came from. Would you be half as likely to eat yeah. it? Yeah, like mm-hmm. I was just I mean yeah, they're just. Yeah. Cramped in there, and they'll drive that truck in snow, rain, whatever, freezing cold, right. hundred degree, yeah. hundred degree temperatures. They don't care. Like they got to get those chickens from whatever yeah, from terrible Chico- farm they went from right. to that killing room, and they just stuff them in there. I mean, right. they, the chickens are literally flattened, those, yep. like, and there's and like you'll see them like necks like twitching because they yeah. can't move. Yeah, and it's terrible. It's the worst thing. It, it kind of blows my mind that that truck can drive around like that, and nobody's like up in arms like maybe we should be i'm not sure but that's just kind of what we accept as the normal now well you 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 get up in arms by getting your chicken from places yeah. like gb and d or stellas or something like that yeah. as, and that's how you that's how you do that vote with that with that pocketbook all right so let's switch gears real quick uh carol's ice cream you just opened up an ice cream shop yes sir a few months ago yep right at right as the weather started turning cold <laughs> Just Excellent timing. Perfect timing. You know, like everything else, we wanted to be open much earlier, but like every right. other project, it gets delayed. Yeah. I also opened up a food truck at the same time, and in hindsight, like those two things weren't supposed to happen at the same time. <laughs> so they both just kind of kept like, yeah, they both kept delaying each other, but yeah. they both are open. They're both functioning. They're both not closed yet, so that's good. <laughs> And we've we've been to Carol's uh, twice. I think the ice cream is excellent, really is. And your sister Lindsay opened up uh, cro- uh, right next door. She moved across the street, mm-hmm. the Village Grind, and yep. so Carol's they're kind of under the same roof right now. Yep, right next to each other because yeah. I think that's we've got a good dynamic. We've already proven that. But yeah, glad to be there. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and kudos on uh, getting your mom to work there. <laughs> yeah. Is she running it? Uh, she pretty much is running it. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Is she on the payroll? Is she doing this because uh, she loves you? <laughs> uh, it's company policy not to discuss payroll. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good for you. Uh, and w- now the location um, out there in the in the village—that's a tough spot to to be successful. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose the village? 
in all honesty, is because my little sister Lindsay opened up a coffee shop in the village. Yeah. Um, she was. She was the first, like, food and beverage business, like, right, new yeah. wave, you know, actually trying to source good things to open up in the village of West Greenville. Mm-hmm. And I just saw her take that plunge, and it was a crazy, bold thing to do, because there was, you know, nobody else was really looking hard at coffee shops in the village right. at that point. Right. So she opened up, and... I just really liked her space, and I liked the energy it had, and I thought, if she's going to make it, other people got to take the risk and jump in down here, sure. too. Like, she needs support. Um, and then the space right next to her opened up, and it was just like, how do you turn this down? Like, we've got this 1,200-square-feet restaurant possibility right next to Lindsay's Coffee Shop. And as soon as that was like, we could cut a hole in this wall, we could join the two and just make this really cool synergistic thing. And it worked really well. Without the coffee shop being there, GBOD mm-hmm. would not have survived. Like, without that doorway. Because as soon as, from day one, we opened up, we had her customer base just be like, hey, what's through that door right there? Yeah. And they walk up there and they find a restaurant. So, yeah. GBOD owes its cool location, which I think it is. It's a great spot. It's a really cool corner spot. Amazing natural light. And then just, you know, we owe getting to be a part of this revitalization of the village of West Greenville. Just do in fact that Lindsay opened up a coffee yeah. shop there first like yeah i looked i didn't ever really even consider another location like we were gonna find something in the village and we went through probably four different spots until that one opened up and we kind of given up on it me and my dad like we just couldn't find a spot down there that we liked and then the space next to Lindsay opened up and we're like that's what we were waiting on we're yeah. and like we had come real close to signing leases or agreements on other spots but we just didn't feel good about it and mm-hmm. held off and it was just mm-hmm. really fortunate that that space opened up yeah yeah i agree yeah she's uh she she her opening up down there kind of paved the way yeah. for the the entire neighborhood yeah and i think it's um it's a really good story that i don't think gets a lot of credit because you have other bigger names coming in and they open up and it's like oh big deal so-and-so is opening up and like they're taking the risk and i'm like no they're not we are Lindsay already took the risk i already took the risk you're coming in and you've got like established business now like yeah. it's it's not i'm not saying like um it's not risky to open up a business wherever but yeah Lindsay was the pointy end of yeah, the spear yeah 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 and i i, and I totally agree so, G- so GB and D, did you ever consider any other names other than Golden Brown Delicious, like Scattered, Smothered, and Covered, or uh, no. <laughs> Roasted, Toasted, and... <laughs> no, nothing nothing quite so, like it was going to, I think, uh, Carol's was the original name for GB and D, which is why the ice cream shop's named Carol's. Uh-huh. But I didn't realize, I didn't realize where GB and D came from, but apparently it's a thing that, uh, and like, I'm sure I heard this, and this is where it came from, but um, I didn't realize this. But David Cheng will describe food as being GB&D, or pretty GB&D, golden brown, delicious. Yep, yep. And then, so somebody was one day was like, did you get that name from David Cheng? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And they're like, he says that all the time. So I went back and like watched Mind of a Chef, and I'm like, wow, he really did say that all yeah. the time. And I, so I picked it up from there. I'm sorry, David Cheng. But, <laughs> but I saw, I didn't mean to. I just liked it. <laughs> yeah, but we, we've been using that term for for eons. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure people have been using that term. I just, I was like, I looked and I hadn't. There were no other restaurants that I could find at the time. Yeah, named GB and D, and I was like, this. Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, GB and D. What was the? There was one other, um, 
meaning behind GBND. It was going to be good burgers and donuts. Yeah, okay. Because okay. that was going to be, and that's kind of why I like the yeah the double play on words. But I never. Yeah. I just went with golden brown and delicious. I, it fits with the with the the location, yeah. the 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 sensibilities. The, 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 the there's a quirky aspect, yeah. you know, to everything about the restaurant. You know, and I think that name it just it's just like that cherry yeah. on top of that sundae. You know, <laughs> if someone were to come to you today um, in a similar situation that you were five years ago, and 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 sit down with you and say, you know, I want to I want to open up a restaurant. What or if a young cook came to you, what word of advice? And you've got I don't know two minutes to you know. Oh man. I would just start with how bad do you want it? Like, and that's like a deeper question. Like, what are you willing to give up to make this happen? Like, because I don't think that's a thing people think through. Like, what is this going to cost me? And am I willing to to trade all the things it's going to cost? It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of time. It's going to cost a lot of just painful hours of just stressing over everything. Like, just the stress alone is something I don't think people are quite aware of. And then I think it's, you know, like, what have you taken care of up until this point that makes you think you can take care of a restaurant and people's livelihoods and customers' expectations? Right. Like, what have you owned? Like, it's one thing to say, I want to open up a restaurant, but you have to know that you can just own something and take care of it and, like, keep maintain it. The maintenance, the, the stress of just day-to-day operations was not something I considered. I don't regret it. But it's it comes at a higher cost, and I think you know I'm going to be sitting back there cooking food. Yeah, because I I mean standing if, on a stack of dollar yeah, bills. Yeah, and- <laughs> <laughs> there's just just the people aspect of it. Just dealing with people, dealing with your coworkers, dealing with customers is just insanely stressful. Just because you are always trying to do the right thing, trying to make everybody happy, and then you won't be able to. Right. Then you have to live with. Well, I decided to make this person happy, not that person. I decided to hire this person. I decided to fire this person. And it's just these, like, the toll that it takes emotionally and mentally. But my advice would just be to weigh the cost. Like, if you want it, you should do it. There's plenty Mm -hmm. of room for good restaurants if you've got a good concept. But it just comes down to how bad do you want it and how far can you push it. Like, do it. But know that it's going to cost more money than you think it'll cost. It's going to cost more hours than you think it's going to cost. And... It's going to cost relationships. It's going to cost pretty much everything. It'll take it all. It won't care. Like, yeah. this is going to take everything. Yeah. But that's part of it. And, like, you find the balance. You figure out, well, you know, I can, maybe I don't do all of this. Maybe I do this. And then I can maintain that healthy personal relationship as well. But it's, yeah. Like, find somebody who believes in your mission. That's what, that's probably after realizing yes, I can do this, I can accept the cost, then you just got to start finding people who believe in you. Cook for them, be like, here's what I can do. Is this not good? Should I not be sharing this with people? And if you can start finding believers, supporters, that'll go a long way when you open up and you've already got people who are talking about you, who are fans. Like, people want, or at least I believe people want to know the person behind something. Like, they want to feel like they know the chef or the owner or the bartender or the pastry chef. Like, they want that connection. Yep. Yep. So, it's not something I'd really consider, but you just have to start building relationships with people. You have to start just being approachable and accessible. You can't be, like, mysterious Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, you need fans. Fans are huge. And the only way to get fans is to make a good product and then get that good product out there. And that's difficult, you know. Do it. That would be my advice. Why not? 
if in it nothing else, you won't regret that you tried. Yeah. You're like you'll 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 know. And that was kind of where I ended up. Like, if it fails, it fails. But at least then I won't be like, well, maybe I should have opened a restaurant at some point. Yeah. This that's uh, you know when you're seventy, what are you going to regret? Yeah. Are you going to be sitting around saying, oh, I always wanted to open a restaurant. I always wanted to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to live with that. So, open a restaurant. All right, any plans for 2019? Anything you want to share? Uh, we have big plans, nothing I can share yet. Okay. But we are... <laughs> oh, we've got huge plans, yeah. but I can't tell you. I can't. <laughs> we've got big plans. I am, I'm the type of person that can't sit still, so I need to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. I need to keep like just growing. I need projects. Like Projects are my drug. I'm addicted to them. So even within the restaurant, I have to constantly be like, all right, well, let's try it this something totally off the wall um in 2019 our cocktail bar will open um probably first month of the year we're well on our way pretty much done with the permitting process just waiting out the news yeah we're just waiting on permits right now essentially we're building the bar um but that'll be in addition to golden brown and delicious we're taking over we took over the old village grind space i talked about earlier and down there will be a cocktail bar Either to be named downstairs because you literally go down one stair from GB to it. So it'll either be one step. It'll either be downstairs at GBND or in the weeds at GBND because we love plants and uh, yeah, in the yeah. weeds is a good. It's a good culinary term. Good kitchen expression. So right. we're gonna fill that room with just all kinds of greenery and plants, and I kind of want to call it in the weeds. Either in the weeds or downstairs, but that'll be essentially the cocktail bar at GBND. It's gonna be very yeah. like laid back. Casual bar, um, serving cocktails, a couple of draft draft beers, and yep. then, you know, um, what did somebody call our wine list? A quirky wine list. So kind of continue that tradition of just like having funky, weird stuff. That's what yeah. I like to drink. But that's coming hopefully January, if not January, okay. then February. Um, we're expanding dinner services. Right now we do three nights of dinner, Thursday through Saturday. Right now we do three nights of dinner, uh, Thursday through Saturday. Beginning either January or February next year, we're going to move to five dinners a week, Tuesday through Saturday. We'll be expanding our food truck hours. We'll be expanding Carol's hours. Yeah, just more open hours is the goal. I would, I'm never going to work on a Monday, personally, but I could foresee a future where maybe we get the right people and GB&D is open seven days a week. I think that would be cool. Expand, expand, keep going, keep pushing. That's what we're going to do in 2019. Yeah. So you're looking for cooks right now? Yes, always. <laughs> always. Everybody's, I mean, everybody's looking for good cooks, and this town is just too small. There's not enough of them to go around, but we are... You gotta, you gotta convince somebody yeah. that this is the, this is a career. No, we have... You know, convince somebody young to, <laughs> come on, give it a shot. <laughs> no, and I, I say that sometimes. I like, I wish I could find another me who's just like, wants to get into a restaurant. The problem is, is I don't have the, I don't have the history or like the, when I wanted to go work at Stella's, it's because I wanted to work at Stella's. Yeah, I wanted to work with Jason. I wanted to work at the best restaurant in town. So I need to get to the point where I can find somebody like me who wants to work at the best restaurant right. in town. And they, they pick me, which right now, you know, there's they've got better options that I would send them to. A lot of time when I interview cooks, I'll be like, have you talked to Jason? Have you talked to McPhee? Have you talked to these other people? Because I just want them to know there are really good chefs in this town. And if this is really a career you want to pursue, I might not be the best place to start out. Like, there are other places you can go yeah. and get much broader education because you know i want good cooks but it's got to be somebody who believes in the gpnd mission not yep. so much somebody yep. who wants to put a restaurant on their resume yep. um 
That being said, we have a fantastic crew right now. Chris, Jen, James, Becca, Logan is pretty much what makes up our kitchen crew, and they crush it all the time. Mm -hmm. They've all been with me for a good while now, and I just can't, you know, get over how good they are. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Katie. She runs the front of house. She's been there pretty much since day one, and she is amazing. So we're looking for cooks, but we've already got an awesome crew, and you should get to know them. Yep. Yeah, very cool. Well, Alex, thank you so much for yeah. coming out, yeah. and uh, congratulations on all your uh, success. And I know in this business, success doesn't exactly mean that you're rolling in dough. Uh, it means your your customers are happy, the, the restaurant's profitable. You know, you may not be making the same money that, <laughs> that you were making in BMW, but there is there's other reasons why we get into the restaurant yeah. business and self expression and to and to create something lasting and to and to create memories and and that is a that's a tough thing to to pull off you know my dad my dad was an attorney for a long time and he hated being an attorney and really? when his attorney friends would get together at the house they would they were whining and complaining about how much how miserable they were and that's and he wanted me to be an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're not, that's not, I'm making yeah. a good case for it. So we open restaurants, we cook, we we do that for reasons other than money. Right. And, oh, yeah. And, Most and, definitely. And congratulations on finding that niche in your culinary life. Uh, you're on Instagram at GB&D. Yeah, eat GB&D. Um, eat GB&D. Yep. And it's the letter N because you can't do ampersands. So it's Correct. GBN as in November, D. Yeah, um, that's where I do most of my communicating with the world. Okay, um, so right. follow us there. We'll post menus. We'll post pictures of food. You can find our hours there. And Carol's Ice Cream is on Instagram yep. too. That's uh, Carol's Ice Cream is the handle there. And C A R O L S. Yep. Okay. Follow us along there, and then we're about to launch an Instagram for our food truck, which I think is called Eat and D Truck. So that'll be right. launching soon. Thank Excellent. you very much, John. Yeah, thank you for coming out. I'm John Malik. Chef and restaurant consultant, I make restaurants successful. Follow me on Instagram at Chef John Malik. Uh, follow my wife on Instagram at Tinru Farm. And you can follow the radio show, Tinru Farm Radio Show, and that is on Facebook. And if you'd like to see pictures of uh, Alex's visit, unfortunately we didn't get to hang out with the animals too much. It was kind of a gloomy day when he came over. You can do so on the, on the website, tinroofarmradioshow.com. Thank you all so much for joining us. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media, and our music is all gussied up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.